Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, just a quick warning. What we are about to talk about in this interview may be triggering for those who have been a victim of childhood sexual abuse or childhood abuse or someone who has had a child who has gone through it. Sarah is very honest and transparent with her story about what happened with her her own children, Um, but I just want to give you this warning just in case and also that it's not appropriate to listen to around children. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Sarah. Sarah is the mother of three wonderful boys and the wife to an amazing man. She resides in Virginia Beach with her family. The beach is her life and happy place. Sarah enjoys cooking and attempting crafts and being with her husband, best friend, and children. So husband is best friend, not husband, best friend, and children. (laughs) Um, But Sarah is a second time podcast guest and I'm going to link her first uh, episode up in the show notes. You don't have to listen to it before you listen to this one, but it kind of, they kind of link up together. So Sarah, when you were last on, you talked a little bit about your abusive marriage before you you met your husband. Now we don't want to get that mixed up. That's oh dear God, no, do not. Yeah. No. Do not get those two mixed up for anything. <laughs> no, not the same person. Night and day. Marriage. Night and yes. day. I would love to have you share with us what happened afterwards. Yes. So, um, I, um, I got, I was pregnant at 17 years old. Um, I think that we had talked about that before and, uh, unbeknownst to me during the time, because my ex-husband had lied about his age, uh, for quite some time. But, uh, I found out a little bit later on after being pregnant that he was 29 years old. Um, I turned 18 mid October and a couple of days later he turned 30. So, um, right off the bat, you know, that's kind of suspect anyway, right? <laughs> what right. is a 17 year old doing, throwing high school parties, um, and having a bunch of, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old females over there. But, um, you know, I was young. I was, I was scared. Um, I did not have a, fa- a supportive family during that time. Unfortunately, um, I was pretty much forced into marriage, told by him that if we didn't get married uh, the day that my son would, was born, that he would uh, go down and file and say that, you know, mom is a high school dropout, doesn't have a job, doesn't have a place to live because I didn't live with my mom and dad. And he would have kicked me out if I didn't get married to him. And so that he needed to take custody of the child. And again, I'm 18 years old. You know, I, I don't, I've never been in the court system. I've come from an undivorced family and grew up in beautiful little, um, uh, Great Bridge, you know, Chesapeake and, uh, nothing ever happened in Great Bridge because it's so perfect. Um, I say that with sarcasm, <laughs> but, um, so married him and, through the entire relationship, extremely abusive, uh, some physical, a lot, tons of emotional and, uh, emotional and, um, mental abuse all day long. And, um, 
Yeah, we were what we ended up producing two more children. How that honestly happened, I don't know because even in marriage counseling, we were dubbed as being in a sexless marriage. Um, yeah, I guess it was just God's will for me to have my three boys. But finally, in um, 2013, I, I, you know, it was to the point where um, he and I slept in separate bedrooms for years. Um, he worked out of town. Uh, Monday through Friday. So I only had to put up with him two days a week. Um, so for like two, close to two years, I guess. So it was somewhat bearable. Um, I know on Fridays I would bawl my eyes out coming home from work because I knew that I was going to have to be in that same household with him over the weekend. So, I mean, even though I wasn't a single mom for a while there, I, you know, by Monday through Friday, I kind of was like a single mom. And even when he was home on the weekends, like I just always found excuses to be out of the house because he's a very toxic person. I didn't like being around him. Um, just, just, a his, he has mental problems that he does not have addressed. And, um, you know, that's, that in itself is, is a hard situation to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I, through therapy work and stuff with other therapists that he had met with too, there was always a question mark of underlining personality disorder with him, but never fully diagnosed. But at any rate, in 2013, um, Somehow or another, I just finally found enough inside of myself to say, I just can't do this anymore. And we became separated. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one that had the boys, uh, as primary, you know, custody. And, um, he, he lived in Virginia beach and then ended up moving to Williamsburg with his girlfriend, um, and her four children. And, um, he was always one of these parents that was like, when, um, when my boys would go over there, they would come back home and I'm like, my, my children did not have any type of electronics. I just, I I have a big problem with electronics and they were, you know, little, little at the time too. And, um, and while he and I were married, like that never was a problem. But of course, as soon as like we get separated, he's gone out and bought them like each their own Xbox and like all like my, my oldest son at the time, I think was like 11 or 12. He's coming home and he has his own personal iPad and just like, like we're talking like day and night here, like the way that things were going. And, you know, my kids would come back and just be, they would just act kind of just like so differently to me and they would make little comments to me and, um, little comments, you know, like, gosh, why don't we get, you know, why are you sending us to bed at this time when we're, when we're at dad's house? Like we don't, we don't have a bedtime, you know, that your house is so boring. Like, you know, little things like that. And it's like, what the heck is going on? But I kind of figured this is part of the separation slash divorce, you know, kids are still trying to figure it out, you know, playing the parents against each other, you know, stuff like that. And of course I would call them and say things, oh, they're full of shit. I don't know what they're talking about. And So, you know, but at the same time too, he was also still trying to be very, one day he and I would get along and then the next day, like I'd get some random text message and he'd be like, you know, you're such a little effing slut, you know? And he'd be like, what the hell? Like, what is going on right now? Mm. I I thought we were trying to do co-parenting. So, but anyway, um, in the summer of 2015, he had asked me since he had moved up to Williamsburg at that time, if we could do in the summertime, instead of him getting them on the weekends where he would do like, he would have them for a week and then I would have them for a week. And I, you know, I was like, that's fine. I don't care. Like I, I, it really didn't matter to me. Um, and 
at the time that my now husband, he was living with me and, um, we started to notice a change in the boys when they would be gone for that week and they would come back. We noticed a change in the way that they were kind of dealing with each other. And what I mean by that is they were, when they would come back, they, I have three boys. I have three older brothers. I know how boys can be with the constant kind of like roughhousing, but it was more than that. It was like they constantly, constantly, my husband and I were constantly like, dude, keep your hands off each other. Like, why are you all constantly all over each other? Like, what the hell is going on here? You know? And another thing that we started taking note of is that our kids started number one, all sleeping in the same bedroom, but not just in the same bedroom, like on the floor. And it was like, why are you all sleeping on the floor? Like you each have beds. One of you has a queen size bed for God's sake. Like, why are you sleeping on the floor? And we just started noticing just like little things like that, but nothing that like fully came like, you know, nothing that came like, I guess like to too too many red flags just kind of like we just kind of figured again like I guess they're allowed to do whatever the hell they want over at that house I don't know like it, you know there's just obviously no rules or my oldest one would come back and talk about how like they're allowed to cuss around the house and they go out to eat for every single meal and um, they can stay awake and do whatever they want and just all of these things and it was like our, again our houses were like night and day and so once they would come back home to us, it would take us like three or four days for them to what I called like detox. And then lo and behold, they're going right back over there. So it was just like a vicious cycle of this. And uh, finally, one day I get a phone call from at that time, my ex-husband's girlfriend. And she's like, we've got a big problem. I'm like, what's going on? She said, well, um, it, I looked on John's phone. John had his phone out and um I needed to look on it for something. And I happened to click on the browse history and on the browse history. I saw that he has been looking and this is, I am going to cuss and I apologize. So if you have no. children that are listening, please bleep this out. that's right. The, what was in the search engine was redheaded slut gets fucked in the ass. My son is 12. Okay. 12. I promise you, if my son at 12 years old was looking, he would have typed in the word boob, you know? I mean, what, come on now. So when I hear this, I'm like, what the heck is going on? She's like, well, John's looking up this porn on his cell phone and he's, I think he's showing it to my children and we've got a big problem because now my ex-husband is saying that my children are starting to act out um, and you know, he's to the point where he's ready to say that your ex-husband uh, can't be around. He wants to go down to the courthouses and I'm trying to tell him that it's just your kids. And I'm like, okay, listen, when you guys drop the boys off tomorrow, we need to, we all need to talk. So they, they come over to drop the boys off and my oldest son looks like he has just been through the ringer. I've never seen this kid so upset in my life. And we sit the boys down on the couch and we're like, listen, whatever's going on, you know, you can talk to us. So I don't know what's going on here, but there's just a lot of confusion. And John, if you're the oldest one out of the entire group here, if you are choosing to look up that stuff, you know, that that's something that's not appropriate, but it's 
definitely not appropriate to show little kids either if that's what's going on. And my oldest son just has tears coming down his face and he's just shaking his head and he's looking up at the ceiling. And I happen to like look out of the corner of my eye and my ex-husband has this like semi shit eating grin on his face. And like all of a sudden I just like this, like, I'm not going to call it a light bulb, but just like this feeling washed over me that was like, you need to get them out of your house, you know, get them, not the boys, but your ex-husband and his girlfriend, they, they need to go. So, you know, I was like, okay, all right. Well, I think we've made the message clear. It's, it's time to go. They're with us now. Goodbye. See you later. And my oldest son, as soon as I, as soon as I turned the door and shut it, I looked at him and I was like, dude, what is going on? And he just looked at me on my face. Again, this is a 12 year old boy. And he says, mom, if you think that I did that, I might as well go to my bedroom and kill myself now because I didn't do that. And he went back to his room and I followed him back there and I shut the door and I just looked at him and I was like, what the hell is going on? And that is what started everything. He, it, you know, Megan, I call it like my children. They were like a water faucet because they had all of this information. And then all of a sudden it's like that. It's almost like this water faucet gets put on full blast and then it's, and then it just gets like shut off again. And then like another, like two days go by and all of a sudden the water like gets put on full blast again. We were getting, I was getting pieces of information left and right, but the point blank, my oldest son straight up told me that his biological dad had been bringing him into um, his room and talking to him explicitly about how to masturbate, what feels good, um, talking to or having him sit down and watch porn, telling him that if he didn't enjoy this or didn't do the things on the video, that he was gay and that that's not accepted. And then forcing my then 12 year old son to sleep in bed with his girlfriend's daughter who was 10 years old and encouraging him to do things to her that he had seen on the video, because this is how you learn how to get good at things. Um, and that was, that was enough. Obviously I, I heard that in the very next day I was down at the Virginia beach courthouse filing for emergency custody of my children. When I say that they told me when I went to file, they, they give you this like little box to put like your information in. Like, you know, you need to, we might give it, you might see a judge today. You might not, you know, depends on how severe your case is. And I'm looking at this little box. I'm like, how am I supposed to fit everything that my kid just said in there? They're like, just pick out the most important things. I was like, okay. So I pick out what I think is the most important things. And the chick that works at the courthouse, like gets my paper back and she reads it and she's like, stay right here. You're going in front of the judge in like 20 minutes. And that's exactly what happened. Um, CPS is fully involved at this point. Like my kids are doing forensic interviews, which by the way, are horribly unpleasant. Um, there are biological data to have no contact with them at this point, like all of this kind of crazy stuff. They're all in therapy. And that's what I mean by water faucets, because it's one of those things that's like, right when you think that you've heard the worst of the worst, you haven't, it was just like platforms just kept falling out from underneath me with more and more details that my kids were telling me more and more things that I was hearing about. Um, 
and you know, the, the final fall for me was, was hearing that my two children, um, two of my children witnessed uh, more than once my youngest son. Um, and I'm going to put it in the words of supposedly because he was never found guilty, but supposedly or allegedly being sodomized. Um, not more than once. Um, and my youngest son at the time was uh, six years old. And, um, you know, as a parent, like, and whether this was the right thing to do or not, I had to, like, the best way that I knew how to digest all of that information was almost to, like, pretend that I was reading it out of a book. Does that make sense? Like, I had to, like, disassociate, like, I had to like listen to what was being done and disassociate the fact that it was done to my children. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I had to stay, I had to keep my shit together because my kids were falling apart at the seams. You know, I mean, the schools were calling like guidance counselors or this kid out of nowhere, you know, like they're taking a test. And then the next thing I know, they're sitting here hysterically crying at their desk. What is going on? you don't want to sit there and give the schools too much information because, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a court system. You've got guardian at items involved. You've got, you know, CPS is all involved, all this kind of stuff. And it was such a whirlwind of a situation. Um, but nonetheless, I, um, CPS did not ever, um, speak to my children's therapist. Apparently that's fun little fact for you guys that, um, by law, uh, if your kids are in therapy, it's up to the CPS uh, workers' discretion as to whether or not they want to speak to the therapist. It is not mandated. Um, and the CPS workers, regardless of how many times that my children's therapist, because each one of them had their own individual therapist, reached good. out to them, they would never return their phone calls. Um, and uh, the CPS worker apparently reached out to the GAL and was like, you know, what, what are you going to recommend? And she's like, you know, of course I'm going to recommend the mom have sole physical legal custody. And as soon as the CPS worker heard that, she was like, okay, well, I'm shutting down this case. And that's exactly what happened. Um, which is, you know, it's, it was, it was hard. It, that was a hard thing, but nonetheless, I did have, you know, um, end up with a sole physical legal custody of my children. And, um, he didn't stop. Uh, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to, uh, file appeals and with filing those appeals, um, and dragging stuff out and doing all of this stuff, it, it wore on my children so mentally, um, that, uh, my oldest son eventually ended up completely like losing his shit. He was in and out of Kempsville behavioral center and ultimately ended up having to, um, stay at Barry Robinson for a time period because he was what the doctors were saying, slipping in and out of psychosis episode from about 2015 coming out all the way up until actually this year. This year is when it finally freaking ended, Megan, from 2015 until literally like June of this year. That is, I was in and out of the courts. Like I had two guardian ad litems in my life and my kids' lives. My children have undergone two forensic interviews. That man has been investigated by CPS twice for child sexual abuse, his wife for child neglect, and he was looked in by the your department for mm-hmm. sexual abuse. And can you hear me now? Two forensic interviews, two 
guardian at litems that lived in our lives from 2000, one, you know, one of them from 2013 to 2019. Um, and the other one um, from 2000 and I guess 16 to 2019, but nonetheless, like to me, you know, and I still, what has happened to my children has happened to my children. Um, and to some degree, I still have to disassociate it. I don't know if that's the healthiest thing, but for me, that's what I have to do. That's what I have to, you know, because those are my babies. Yeah. I wasn't there to protect them. And it's not, I don't ever blame myself for that. But what I do do sometimes, if I start really getting back and thinking about it, it's like, Sarah, what, when, back when they were constantly putting their hands on each other more, whatever, like, you know, maybe you should have asked more questions, maybe this, maybe that. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's so hard to hear about any abuse situation, but when you're actually sitting there and witnessing your children falling apart and hearing some of the things. And again, I still don't even know all the disclosures. I wasn't in there for those therapy meetings. Um, and honestly, I'm glad that I haven't heard all of those disclosures. Um, but yeah, you know, um, the biggest thing that I, I feel like I'm, I instilled in my children from a very young age and even from being in an abusive situation. And again, it's so sad too, because unfortunately, my youngest two don't remember a lot. My oldest one still remembers tidbits of, you know, yes, I remember seeing you be thrown against the wall. Yes. I remember, you know, seeing or hearing this or seeing this, but, um, I always, always, always instilled in my children something that like a couple of things that were never given to me as a kid. And that was number one, I, um, I, I tell my children even to this day, you know, I, you will never know how much I love you. And I, I don't, I think that sometimes people don't understand how much power that can hold as a parent to constantly reassure your child that you love them. Um, I always, always, even when they were babies, and I still do it to this day. My 17-year-old, you know, kind of like rolls his eyes at me now, and he'll be like, yeah, yeah, I love you too. Uh, but he's just a raging butthead because he's 17. But <laughs> you know, I have a 16-year-old, um, I feel you. Yeah, can. so you know. Yeah. But I'm reassuring them how much, you know, I, I do, you know, I, you know that I always love you. Even when I'm pissed off at you, I still love you. Um, and always, always, again, instilling in them too. I'm your mom. I, you can come and tell me anything, dude, I got your back. Like, even if you screw up, like you're, I'm your mom. I still will have your back. You, if you did bad, you might have to suffer the consequences for it, but I'm not going to turn my back on you for it either. And, um, I kind of truly feel like just those constant reminders as a parent was, what finally made it so that my kids came and told me because it's so unfortunate sometimes to hear so many kids go through years and years of this or don't come forward and say anything as adults and told their adults. Um, and you know, we'll never know how long the abuse was going on for, um, one of my kids therapists actually thinks that my youngest one, who was the one that was allegedly, uh, sodomized he thinks that it might've been happening when he was a baby because he has issues. He's always had issues with going to the bathroom. He's, he's never wanted to have bowel movements. Like he holds it. And, um, and when he was, uh, 
when he was uh, little, he would hold it. And even when all of this was going on, like I would have to feed him laxatives to make him go to the bathroom because his nerves were so shot all the time. And, um, you know, again, through talking with the therapist too and everything, it was like something about that um, sleeping on the floor situation. Like I had said earlier that that was one thing that myself and my now husband noted down them going out of beds and sleeping on the floor. It, there, they wonder if something might've happened in the bed because that when they would sleep on the floor, they literally would like sleep on top of, you know, not like on top of each other, but just like, like dominoes, like one, two, three, like right there in a line right next to each other. And, um, you know, looking back and, and hearing the therapist talk about it, they're like, that very well could have been like a protection thing. You know, if you're going to end up waking up one, you're going to more than likely wake up all and they're all there to kind of protect each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's been years and years worth of lots of, um, therapy. They, they still are in therapy. Um, two of them are on, uh, medications and probably will be for a while, which is okay. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Um, but like the power in therapy is so great, you know, it really is. And, um, the power in just being able to really have, um, an open and, and truly open and honest relationship with your children too is, um, is great. And I'm, I'm so forever grateful that my children did come and tell me because I, I don't know how much worse it could have gotten. Do you know what I mean? And I don't even want to think about that. Um, but as a mom too, I, my husband and I, we did everything that we could, um, uh, within our power, uh, legally to, um, to protect our children and, um, and like I said, June was, this was it. And it's officially that not only do I have, you know, sole physical legal custody, he's on a no contact or order as is his entire family with my children. Um, and now we're actually moving forward with, um, step parent adoption and last name changes per my children's request, because they do not want to share the, the same last name with their abuser. And, um, you know, that's something that they've come to me and told me, I, I've never, um, forced any type of ideas like that on them whatsoever. Um, they just say, I, I don't want that last name. I want, I want the man who's raising me his last name. I want my dad's last name. Their, their stepdad is they call him, you know, dad, yeah. uh, they call their biological father by his, um, first name. Uh, my oldest son may not even call him that anymore. It might be some other terms, which I have to tell him. Can we, can we not, <laughs> can we not please? We still have a 13 and 11 year old in the house. Um, but, um, you know, Megan, it's, it's, especially my, my middle son and my youngest son have done a really, really good job of, um, of letting go of a lot of it and moving past but my oldest son still holds on to a lot of anger. He's still so angry. Um, and I hate, I don't like the word hate. I don't like it because it's such a strong and powerful world word. I really, that, that child borderlines on hatred for that man. And, um, again, as a mom, it's, it's really hard to see, but you know, I have to just, constantly keep telling him and reminding him that that hatred is only going to hurt you. It doesn't hurt him. It's only going to eat alive at you. And, um, it's taken me a long time and I still am working on it. That level of forgiveness, you know what I mean? Because when you hear the yeah. word forgiveness, you're like, you son of a bitch, I will never forgive you for what you did to my children. Um, but it's, 
you know, I, I have to chip away and realize that it's it, every day it gets a little bit easier. Cause I think the word forgiveness, it's one of those things. It's like, I, with forgiveness, like you people, you know, and it took me a long time. It doesn't mean that you have to like the forgiveness is for you, not for that person. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And that it's taken me a long, long time to get there. Um, with that, but yeah, as a parent is of abused kids, you know, like, damn, they, do they go through a roller coaster or what? One day they're fine. The next day it's like light switches. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll never forget like driving in the car one day, a song came on and one of my kids started hysterically crying, cut it off, cut it off. And it's because it was their, one of their biological dad songs that he used to blare through the house. And it was just like a PTSD moment for them, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's so, so hard. And at the same time, like, I'm just glad that I had my husband by, by my side for a major support system because he, he very much was. And all three of my kids' therapists were amazing. You know, I would talk to them too. I would go and see my own personal one, um, to, you know, to talk about a lot of stuff and, you know, it's just, um, it's such a shattering thing that happens to families and it, it hurts me and kills me to hear that it happens so much more than anybody even realizes. Um, but as a parent too, I just, I think that it's so important that you always remember and stay very true to keeping a very, very open communication dialogue with your kids. And again, always reassuring them regardless of how old they are, you know, dude, you so pissed me off. You know, I mean, I still love you. You're my kid. You annoyed the piss out of me on that one though, you know, <laughs> like, but don't ever make them think that you don't love them. And, uh, and when you tell them that they can come and talk to you about anything, you really got to mean it because you really don't know what they're going to come and tell you. <laughs> I did not expect that ever, that that was going to be what was said. Um, but it was, and that's the, that is the you know, cards that we were dealt and you got to roll with it. And, um, life's not fair. Sometimes (laughs) the situations downright suck, you know? So that's kind of where it is for me at this point. Yeah, no, I can, I understand, except not from the parental side of things, but more from the child side of things. Cause I was molested as a child, um, by my uncle. And so I kind of understand where your oldest son feels so angry. And part of that for me was because I couldn't protect my sister. Um, so I was so angry that I, at myself and at, you know, the person that molested us because I couldn't protect her. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that that's funny, and I wonder if you did this too, but, um, especially when things first kind of like came out, my oldest son, um, he almost took on like the quote unquote father role in the house or even like just the head, um, household. So like if my kids wanted, uh, to open a new box of cereal purse, let's just use that as an example. They didn't like come and ask like mom or dad. It was like, Hey John, are we okay to open this box of cereal? And like, John would be like, yeah, that's fine. And you know, that was one thing that was that he, it took years for him to learn to let go of, but 
you know, his therapist had informed me like, yeah, like he took on that, like, it's that situation of you had to grow up too fast. Mm -hmm. Like you became the protector and your, the, your siblings realized that you were taking a lot more of the beatings and the, this and the, that for them. And so they like, they look at you as their protector. So in essence, they come and they ask you versus asking mom or dad. I don't know if that happened in your situation too. Like if your sister kind of like came to you for permission of stuff or to ask, you know, questions or those kinds of things. But I know in our household for a while there, they did. And that was one thing that really had to be worked on with my son in therapy is like, you don't have to be that protector anymore. You're it's okay now. But you know, once you, I, he never, ever went fully back, you know, it's just, you, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't Mm -hmm. get back that level of innocence. Maybe to some degree you can, but not all the way, you know, he was 12 years old and he had to become the the guardian because I wasn't there. Neither was my husband. Um, so I, you know, I don't know if that happened in your situation too, if your sister kind of would go to you for, or if you kind of told your sister like things to do, like, I need you to do this. And she listened to you, you know, without question. That's, that's what happened for a while in our household, um, with my oldest one. So yeah, that didn't happen for us because um, things didn't happen at the same time for us. So our uncle would take us okay. by ourselves. Oh, so, God. Yeah, he would, um, which should have been a red flag for my parents that he never took us together for anything. Like, yeah. he would always say he wanted quality time with each of us individually. Mm. Um, but I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can't look back and be like, oh, yeah. shit. I should have, like, my mom always said she thought he was creepy, and she told my dad that. My dad flipped out and was like, that's my brother. You don't talk about him like that. And so right. she never said anything ever again, but she had this gut feeling that there was something wrong with him. Yeah, and yeah. And she was so spot on. And so, you know, it's hard to look back, and I know that they probably feel guilty for that as well, but I just, it took me therapy like recently like a, a year or so ago in therapy for me to let go of the guilt of not being able to protect my sister yeah like, yeah it's just it's so and like I said it's so horribly earth-shattering to hear just how how con- like I hate using that word with this is subject that that it's just disgusting to even have you know common and sexual abuse in the same sentence. Like it's, it's disgusting. It makes me sick to my stomach. Um, it's a fact though, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I don't know how it, how it, how your abuse ended up coming out, uh, with your family, but I definitely, and I, I can, I can, if your parents do have a level of guilt, I I get it. And I don't, even with the therapy on my end with realizing, Sarah, there's nothing you could have done. You weren't there. You weren't participating in the activities. Right. As a parent, you're always going to ha- hold some type of, like I said, you know, like those little, like you said, your mom had that level of like, he's creepy. I had these, my kids have gone from sleeping in the bed to sleeping in the floor. My kids are now touching all over each other all the time. Like they're just, it's almost like they're just, there's some type of level of hyperactivity going on that that I cannot, you know, and, and 
I read flags, you know, I, I could have gone, but I can't beat myself up it too much. But again, as a parent, yes, I, I think I will always harbor a little bit of a level of guilt, but it's not guilt for not being there. It's just like, it's, it's more of like a, um, a sadness, I guess, if you will, you, that's maybe that's kind of maybe what your mom, it's, it's more of like an internal, like sadness, like, or are you like you, maybe you internally like let yourself down a little bit, like, because your mom, you're supposed to be there to protect 24 seven, you know, and right. it didn't happen. So, um, but yeah, it's, and you know, you, so like you then can also help me in this situation because you being the, uh, the, uh, the victim, what do you do for your children knowing the other end of that? Or like what, you know, do you, are you all about the open communication and, you know, telling your children constantly, you know, you can always come and talk to me. Um, or, you know, that reassurance of like, you know, please know that there's nothing you could do to ever make me stop loving you kind of thing. Like, do you as the victim, do, like, do you kind of like reinstate those kinds of things in your children? Do you think that that helps a situation to make children comfortable to come talk to their parents, you know? Because I like hearing the other end of it because you're not my kid, you know? It's a little bit different when you're, when you're self, when, when it's the situation that you're in. So what do you say on situations like that? Yeah, I've since my kids were little and could understand, and even at their their age level, I always reiterate, you know, what is good touch, what is bad touch. Yeah, yeah. You know, if there's anything, you come talk to me, even if the person threatens you, because apparently, I I don't remember being molested, even though it happened. I blacked out, like completely disassociated from the whole thing. So yeah. I don't actually remember it, but we know it happened to me. Um, because I remember like little snippets that, that I can't remember actually the whole thing that happened, but knowing that it did happen, if that makes any sense. So I don't remember all of it. Um, but apparently he threatened my sister and told him, he told her that he was going to kill our parents. And so I even tell my kids like, don't worry, even if somebody threatens mommy and daddy, they're not going to be able to hurt us. We're going to be fine. You come right. to us. But I don't think there's anything you can do, and this is going to sound really horrible. I don't think there's anything that you can do as a parent that's going to stop it if it's going to happen. Like, yeah, because you just don't know. You can try to trust your gut. You can try to not leave them with strangers, all that. But it's usually not strangers that it. No, it's fam. It's family members. It's family members. Yeah, I think. I think um, it's like a really high percentage rate for family members. Like if I remember, I did a, I did a, um, did some coursework where I was looking into this. Um, and I had to stop because it can be really, um, this conversation wasn't triggering for me, but sometimes it, depending on sure. the details, it can be triggering for me. So, sure. um, I was looking into it and the percentage rate of people that are like family members is very, very high. So yeah. It's not that you can't stop it, like to have conversations with your kids and do the best you can and hope that if something happens, they will come to you and tell you about it. That's my only hope. And um, it did, uh, my father-in-law was inappropriate with my oldest daughter. It didn't go, how the police said it was, it didn't go far enough. So they, yeah. couldn't, they couldn't bring any charges against him because it didn't go far enough. Um, but I... 
I couldn't have stopped it. Like it happened. It was somebody yeah. I trusted. It was my husband's father, for God's sakes. Like my husband was like, my husband is devastated. Yeah. It happened like years ago and he's still devastated because he can't believe that his dad would do something like that. So, yeah. you know, it, even as much as you try, but the great thing was because of those conversations, she came to us almost immediately about it. Yeah. And see, so. that's what's, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, when you, when you said you don't like how you had blacked out, like I, I know that my kids didn't black out, but like, uh, when I went, was telling you about how they had gone through like the forensic interview, the second one, my youngest one, because again, this had been like years later, when he was saying he didn't have enough detail, it's because my youngest one only remembers, like you're saying, like little clippets. Like he remembers the TV being on. He remembers the lamp that was on the ground. Like he could tell you where the lamp was in the room. And he remembers being on the ground. And he remembers the refrigerator light, the little one where the, um, the ice maker and stuff were on. But he's not able to give like the full details because it's like, you know, it, it, it's little, it's like little flashes of like those little types of things. And, and that's, that's what he remembers out of the situation. Um, and that's just, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a shame that that's, you know, that they have to have so much more than that to charge anybody with these horrible, horrible crimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they literally, for my uncle, how it came out that he did it was um, my cousin had come forward and the police told my aunt and uncle, you have to catch him in the act. If you don't catch him in the act, there's nothing we can do. So literally oh, my aunt and uncle had to set him up, ask him to come watch their kids and pretend to leave and then park down the road and come back. And tr it, now n when they say catch him in the act, he didn't actually yes. have to be doing something. Yes. They had to catch him in the process of trying to do something. Yes. Yes. And, and that was the worst thing is they were like knowing that he had done these things and set him up. And then I will never forget the day that they called because my mom was just shocked and she got off the phone and you could tell something was wrong. You know, you just had this gut instinct, something's wrong. Yeah. And she turned to us and she asked us, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. Because I literally don't remember any specific details, but my sister just started bawling and she yeah. like completely lost it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty harsh, but yeah, the police will tell you that they need all these, all yeah. this evidence. And I'm like, why can't we just believe these kids? What kid is going to come up with a freaking I'm telling you. story like this? Like I'm with details you. like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but Sarah, before we wrap up, I would love to have you give some tips to some parents out there listening because they might be listening and being like, I'm going through something similar or I've gone through something similar. And um, I don't want them to think that there's not hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's always hope. Yeah, yes. there's always hope. But maybe some tips on like, you know, that you would give a parent that is going through something like this. God, the biggest tip that I have to give is the it's the word patience. You have got to be patient because 
these, at least my children, were on nothing but an extreme emotional roller coaster. And like I said, one day everything could be fine. And then the next day, they're just train wrecks of human beings. And I had to force myself and learn myself because there, at, at the end of the day, a lot of times I'm not a very patient person, but I had to teach myself that yelling at them or causing more chaos in an already chaotic situation is not going to help them. And patience is dear God, the best thing. And the other thing that I really did too, is I started writing, Megan, I would write down things that were happening, things that I witnessed, things that I saw, this, that, this, that, or what, because it's almost like I would get the, that type of like irritation or the, the thousand thoughts that were going through my head. I would give them a place. I'd put them on paper. And I actually ran across that notebook the not too long ago, a couple months ago. And I opened it up and I literally read like one page and I started bawling my eyes out from because it was years ago because to read that stuff and the things that we were going through, it's like, how the hell did I make it through? I promise to God, you're going to make it through. You are going to make it. You and your child are going to make it. And, and really the patience and the understanding and the unconditional love and just telling them again, like, do I, we're going to become survivors. We're not going to be victims. We're going to be survivors out of this. Like it, I don't know my kids. I, I, I had a strong bond with all three of my boys before now, nowadays, forget about it. Like my kids are, we've got, we've just got an unspeakable bond. Um, but patience, dear God, patience and therapy is amazing, not just for the victim, but for the person that's also having to be the big support system for that victim, because it, it's, it's so important that you also get yourself right, because you're going to be going on your own emotional roller coaster too. Yeah. You just I, are. I wish that was one thing my parents had done for us as children is um, kept us in therapy. We only went for like two sessions basically to get the information that we were able to give and, and that was yeah. it. And I think that would have been a life altering thing. And, and my parents probably needed therapy as well. So I, I love that you said that. Now, Sarah, as we wrap up the podcast, is there anything that you would like to leave the Inspired Women audience with that we haven't already touched on? Um, no, just, I, I have to tell you, Megan, I love, I love your podcast. I, I love all the different episodes of it. You're amazing. Um, I actually listened to your infertility one the other day, which is crazy because I'm getting ready to start the whole process myself. Oh. As in like, I just like my, some of my injections are coming in the mail tomorrow. And I can't remember the name of the chick that was on there that you were talking to the other day, but it's, I love your podcast. And well, really, you. you know, you're, you're doing such an amazing thing by, by not just staying in one subject, but by like opening up this like array of different subjects and array of different people that come from so many different backgrounds. And, um, I, I love it. And I, I highly encourage everything that you're doing. You're doing a great job and 
fantastic for the women that are willing to step forward and talk about some really uncomfortable shit because this is uncomfortable. Infertility is uncomfortable. Abuse is like anything like that, you know, is, is uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes just being in your own skin is uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> and these people that are coming forward and talking, you know, it's amazing. And, um, I, I thank you so much for having a, a program like this. And, and I really, really do appreciate it. And, I love listening. <laughs> well, thank so, you so thank much you. for that. I, I need yeah. to hear that every once in a while to keep myself going. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. And, you know, uh, for anybody that, you know, might have gone through this type of abuse or has a relative or whatever, feel free to forever, you know, reach out to me um, because this is it's one of those like unspoken horrors, you know, nobody wants to talk about what happened because there's a level of shame, embarrassment, you know, and really, I think one way that we stop this is we have to, we have to start talking about it. We have to start making more people aware and it is uncomfortable. It's, it's embarrassing and it's uncomfortable, but it has to be brought up more because like I said before, sexual abuse and common should not be in the same sentence but it's going to mm -hmm. continue to be in the same sentence until there's more awareness and punishment and you know just all around knowledge about it being brought forward. I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Of course, it was my pleasure. Thank you for asking me back even though last time I took like an hour and a half of your time. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.